Hi everyone, it's Joe Wigand from Medora, North Dakota, gateway to Theodore Roosevelt National Park and home to the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation. With their help, we're starting Teddy Talks. The April program is called 26 Days with the 26th President. Each and every day, I'll be reading at length from some of what uh, Theodore Roosevelt wrote and spoke during his lifetime. Uh, as we go through, uh, I hope that you'll understand why Theodore Roosevelt at the State Fair in Minnesota on Labor Day 1901 told the people there to speak softly and carry a big stick. You will go far. Teddy Talks are proudly presented by the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation in Medora, North Dakota. To learn more about visiting or supporting our mission to connect people to the Badlands for positive, life-changing experiences, go to Medora.com. Now, enjoy the pod. Good morning. Welcome to Teddy Talks for Saturday, April 25th, 2020. I'm your host and friend, Joe Wigan, coming to you from Medora, North Dakota, gateway to Theodore Roosevelt National Park. And today we celebrate uh, the creation of Theodore Roosevelt Memorial National Park on this date by an act of Congress and President Harry S. Truman uh, on this date in 1947. A smattering of this and that today on Teddy Talks and for my friend Joyce, a review of the dedication ceremony of the park on June 4th, 1949, which Joyce attended with her family from Williston, but she said there was such a big crowd, they didn't get to see the play, and uh, we've got some fun uh, reviewing what was done here in the beautiful Badlands, June 4th, 1949. On this date in history, the birth of Oliver Cromwell, the uh, Lord Protector of the British Isles in the mid-17th uh, century. Theodore Roosevelt, the author, the historian, amongst those 30 books that Theodore Roosevelt wrote, uh, The Life of Oliver Cromwell, I do believe titled simply Oliver Cromwell, first published in the year 1900 during uh, T.R.'s time as governor of New York uh, as a serial in Scribner's magazine, Often what we uh, refer to as Theodore Roosevelt's books might have first been published in serial form in the magazines. The uh, English general, Lord Cromwell, led the armies of parliament uh, against King Charles I, bloody and horrible civil war. And uh, uh, upon the death of Cromwell in September of 1658, the restoration of the throne and uh, continued violence uh, through the uh, United Kingdom. I would like to read to you a little bit of what Theodore Roosevelt wrote about Oliver Cromwell, a great admirer of Cromwell's uh, strengths and uh, virtues and a critic, uh, as many, of his excesses. It reminds me in a way of the split decision that Theodore Roosevelt seemed to come to with regards to President Andrew Jackson, finding so much admirable in Old Hickory and uh, uh, some of which was uh, uh, not so much. This from uh, Theodore Roosevelt's Oliver Cromwell. 
We are often told that the best of all possible governments would be a benevolent despotism. Oliver's failure is a sufficient commentary upon this dictum of the parlor of doctrinaires. There never has been and probably never will be another despotism where the despot so sincerely strove to do for a people capable of some measure of freedom better than they themselves would have done with that freedom. The truth is that a strong nation can only be saved by itself and not by a strong man, though it can be greatly aided and guided by a strong man. A weak nation may be doomed anyhow, or it may find its sole refuge in a despot. A nation struggling out of darkness may be able to take its first steps only by the help of a great master hand, as was true of Russia under Peter the Great. And if a nation, whether free or unfree, loses the capacity for self-government, loses the spirit of sobriety and of orderly liberty, then it has no cause to complain of tyranny. But a really great people, a people really capable of freedom and of doing mighty deeds in the world, must work out its own destiny and must find men who will be its leaders, not its masters. Cromwell could, in all probability, have been such a leader at the end as he was during his early years of public life, and when he permitted himself to fall from the position of a leader among free men to that of a master over men for whose welfare he sincerely strove, but in whose freedom he did not believe, he marred the great work he had done. Nevertheless, it was a great work. There are dark blots on his career, especially his Irish policy. But on the whole, he was a mighty force for good and against evil. And the good that he did, though buried for the moment with his bones, rose again and has lived forever since, while the evil has long withered or is now withering. The English-speaking peoples are free, and for good or for ill, hold their destinies in their own hands. A little bit of Theodore Roosevelt's historic writing, remembering as well that uh, while uh, not having an advanced degree in history, Theodore Roosevelt was, in 1912, elected president of the American Historical Association, the Association of Professional and Academic Historians. It's not very often, uh, perhaps outside of C-SPAN, that one might hear an act of Congress read. And indeed, uh, watching C-SPAN myself, you'll often see that uh, uh, the clerk dispenses with the reading of the rule uh, of the uh, of the bill. It's understood that by reading a few lines of the introduction, everybody's on the same page. Uh, this is uh, uh, wonderful, though, uh, uh, to uh, to read from April 25th, 1947. Public Law 38. If you'd like to get down some of the uh, wormholes, as they call them in the Internet, and, and uh, finding things, I'm still looking for the remarks that Congressman William Lemke would have made in the consideration of this bill and have not found them yet, but uh, Lemke's birthday is in August, and I'm considering a, a William Lemke uh, day in Medora, and that we might celebrate his birthday and celebrate his roots uh, uh, in the East, in Fargo, uh, as a, uh, a resident and attorney and member of Congress from Fargo. So from the act, and, and uh, I'll just mention, I'll be skipping over a, a section that's uh, rather legal, an act to establish the Theodore Roosevelt National Memorial Park, 
to erect a monument in memory of Theodore Roosevelt in the village of Medora, North Dakota, and for other purposes. Be it enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America in Congress assembled, that all those certain tracts, pieces, or parcels of land, title to which is vested in the United States of America and being in the state of North Dakota, and within the boundaries particularly described as follows to wit, this is the part I'll section, I'll, I'll uh, skip, but it begins, beginning at the point where the north line of the right-of-way of United States Highway Number 10 intersects the east boundary of Section 36, Township 140 North, Range 101 West, 5th Principal Meridian, then southwesterly and northwesterly, etc., etc., let's say for a while. That goes on, that section one reads quite longly and, and then uh, uh, comes uh, back to the end. Uh, uh, the north right-of-way line of United States Highway Number 10, the place of beginning, containing 35,270 acres, more or less, are hereby dedicated and set apart as a public park for the benefit and, and enjoyment of the people and shall be known as the Theodore Roosevelt National Memorial Park. The Secretary of the Interior is authorized in his discretion to construct and maintain a road or highway through the park connecting it with a state or federal highway. In Section 2, the Secretary of the Interior is hereby authorized to cause condemnation proceedings to be instituted in the name of the United States under the provisions of the Act of August 1st, 1888, entitled, quote, an act to authorize the condemnation of lands for sites for public buildings and other purposes, unquote, uh, statutes, uh, chapter 25, 357, to acquire title to the lands, interests therein, or rights pertaining thereto that are privately owned within the boundaries of the said national park, and such property, when acquired, shall become a part thereof, provided that when the owner of such lands, interests therein, or rights pertaining thereto, shall fix a price for the same which, in the opinion of the Secretary of the Interior, shall be reasonable, the Secretary may purchase the same without further delay, provided further that the Secretary of the Interior is authorized to accept, on behalf of the United States, donations, donations of land, interest therein, or rights pertaining thereto, required for the Theodore Roosevelt National Memorial Park, and provided further the title and evidence of title to land and interest therein acquired for said park shall be satisfactory to the Attorney General. Section 3, that for the purposes of acquiring non-federal lands within the boundaries of said park as established by this Act, the Secretary of the Interior is hereby authorized in his discretion to exchange federally owned lands within the Roosevelt Recreational Demonstration Area Project located outside the boundaries of the park for state or privately owned lands of approximately equal value within the boundaries of the park, when, in his opinion, such action is in the interest of the United States. The title to any lands acquired under this section to be satisfactory to the Attorney General. Upon the vesting of title thereto in the United States, any lands acquired pursuant to this authorization shall become a part of the park and shall be subject to the laws applicable thereto. Section 4. The Secretary of the Interior is further authorized to obtain by purchase or condemnation uh, proceedings as part of said Theodore Roosevelt National Memorial Park, Lots 2, 3, 4, and 6 of Section 33, Township 144, Range 102, 
and to reconstruct thereon the log ranch house, 30 by 60 feet, the log blacksmith shop, 16 by 20 feet, one log stable, 16 by 20 feet, one log stable, 20 by 30 feet, log dog, dog house, three log rectangular corrals, and one log circular corral, as they existed at the time the premises were occupied by Theodore Roosevelt, provided that the total cost of such land and buildings shall not exceed $40,000. The administration, protection, and development of the aforesaid park shall be exercised under the direction of the Secretary of the Interior by the National Park Service, subject to the provisions of the Act of August 25, 1916, U.S. Code 39535, entitled, quote, an act to establish a National Park Service and for other purposes, unquote, as amended. Section 6, the Secretary of the Interior is authorized to erect a monument in memory of Theodore Roosevelt in the village of Medora, North Dakota, with the advice of the Commission of Fine Arts, provided that the cost of the monument shall not exceed $35,000, and there shall be conveyed to the United States such suitable site as may, in the judgment of the Secretary, be required for said monument, provided further that the Village of Medora or other public agency or organization shall furnish, in writing, assurance satisfactory to the Secretary of its willingness to assume the perpetual care and upkeep of the monument. That not, uh, Section 7, that nothing herein contained shall affect any valid existing claim, location, or entry under the laws of the United States, whether for homestead, mineral, right-of-way, or any other purposes whatsoever, al or shall affect the right of any such claimant, locator, or entryman to the full use and enjoyment of his land. Section 8, there are authorized to be appropriated such sums as may be necessary to carry out the provisions of this Act. Approved April 25th. 1947. Thank you. It brings to me so many questions I want to ask from those like Joyce and Williston who uh, have been in North Dakota since the, the founding of the park. Uh, the, uh, the log uh, uh, replica of the Elkhorn Ranch House and its ancillary buildings, uh, the memorial in Medora for Theodore Roosevelt for the construction and maintenance uh, of that uh, were those uh, uh, cabins and buildings built? I know uh, there was an eastern entrance, and, and uh, well, we'll get to the dedication ceremony and a, a little bit of visual that I have from there, but um, I'm curious, maybe in the comments, anyone who knows the history of the park, uh, whether these uh, buildings were uh, built or contemplated, uh, how far we got on the idea of building a physical memorial, a monument to Theodore Roosevelt. I'm, you can, I hope, tell a little, uh, intrigued with uh, history's mysteries, even in this small sense. I wanted to back up just a little bit and maybe uh, address some of that question of why Medora for Theodore Roosevelt National Park, uh, why the Badlands of North Dakota for his, uh, I think, his greatest outdoor memorial. Of course, uh, his birthplace in New York City, his inaugural site in Buffalo, and uh, the uh, Sagamore Hill, the National Historic Site in Oyster Bay, Long Island, his home. Uh, these and others, uh, Theodore Roosevelt Island on the Potomac, they're, they're wonderful memorials in their own right. But his heart and soul, the place that he said, if you took away every memory and, and uh, let him 
retain just one, the one he would keep would be his time as a cattle rancher on the Little Missouri River. I wanted to read a, a little bit from uh, his first uh, chapter, Ranching in the Badlands, uh, that is uh, from his 1885 publication. So he's just uh, shy of 27 years old. He's been ranching for a, a year and a half, and, and he gets about uh, telling uh, hunting and ranching stories. It's uh, the publication of this book and some of the places where he uh, perhaps may have uh, fallen short in his uh, uh, nature observations uh, that brought about the uh, critique uh, by George Bird Grinnell uh, of his uh, of his work and uh, a, uh, the publisher of Forest and Stream at the time. And uh, Theodore Roosevelt goes banging on his door in New York City without an appointment. And after a couple of hours of jawboning nature, these two fellows then have a dinner and set up the idea of founding Boone and Crockett. So uh, that's what comes from times, from uh, writing or in the modern day, putting something out here on the internet and getting commentary and conversation going, good things happen. Here's a little bit of what he wrote in that first chapter. And, and here a little note with regards to my own editorial philosophy. I've chosen in previous long programs of Teddy Talks to read an entire chapter or an entire speech in great part because I think something should be judged on its whole and in greater part because I would never want to be guilty of editing Theodore Roosevelt in a way where I was avoiding something that he wrote that may have been uh, incor factually incorrect or, or something that he wrote that by today's standards might have seemed to have been culturally or racially insensitive. And there's some of that in the writings of Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, if they are, uh, I don't believe them to be blemishes. Uh, they're, uh, for me, uh, um, more just uh, uh, freckles. Uh, they're, they're part of uh, uh, the fiber of what the man was. And, and I'm not to stand here in the 21st century and uh, judge him and, uh, uh, and somehow tarnish his great accomplishments because his thinking and expression wasn't exactly the right mode of thinking or expression that... Uh, are generally uh, accepted today. So uh, thank you for that editorial aside. And, and so I read a portion of that chapter, not for uh, any desire to avoid something written, but instead to just give you a bit of substance about uh, some of his other reflections about his ranch time here. And we'll come back to, uh, to, this, uh, uh, to this piece uh, quite a bit. Theodore Roosevelt writing. My own ranches, the Elkhorn and the Chimney Butte, lie along the eastern border of the cattle country, where the Little Missouri flows through the heart of the Badlands. This, like most of the other Plains rivers, has a broad, shallow bed, through which in times of freshet runs a muddy torrent that neither man nor beast can pass. At other seasons of the year, it is very shallow, spreading out into pools, between which the trickling water may be but a few inches deep. Even then, however, it is not always easy to cross, for the bottom is filled with quicksands and mud holes. The river flows in long, sigmoid curves through an alluvial valley of no great width. The amount of this alluvial land enclosed by a single bend is called a bottom, which may be either covered with cottonwood trees or else be simply a great grass meadow. From the edges of the valley, the land rises abruptly in steep high buttes whose crests are sharp and jagged. 
This broken country extends back from the river for many miles and has been always uh, called by Indians, French voyageurs, and American trappers alike, the Badlands, partly from its dreary and forbidden fitting aspect and partly from the difficulty experienced in traveling through it. Every few miles it is crossed by creeks which open into the Little Missouri, of which they are simply repetitions in miniature, except that during most of the year they are almost dry, some of them having in their beds here and there a never-failing spring or muddy alkaline waterhole. From these creeks run coolies or narrow winding valleys through which water flows when the snow melts. Their bottoms contain patches of brush and they lead back into the heart of the Badlands. Some of the buttes spread out into level plateaus many miles in extent. Others form chains or rise as steep isolated masses. Some are of volcanic origin, being composed of masses of scoria. The others of sandstone or clay are worn by water into the most fantastic shapes. In coloring, they are as bizarre as in form. Among the level parallel strata which make up the land are some of coal. When a coal vein gets on fire, it makes what is called a burning mine, and the clay above is turned into brick, so that where water wears away the side of a hill, sharp streaks of black and red are seen across it, mingled with the grays, purples, and browns. Some of the buttes are overgrown with gnarled, stunted cedars or small pines, and they are all cleft through and riven in every direction by deep, narrow ravines, or by canyons with perpendicular sides. In spite of their look of savage desolation, the Badlands make a good cattle country, for there is plenty of nourishing grass and excellent shelter from the winter storms. The cattle keep close to them in the cold months, while in the summertime they wander out on the broad prairies stretching back of them or come down to the river bottoms. My home ranch house stands on the river brink. From the low, long veranda shaded by leafy cottonwoods, one looks across sandbars and shallows to a strip of meadowland behind which rises a line of sheer cliffs and grassy plateaus. This veranda is a pleasant place in the summer evenings when a cool breeze stirs along the river and blows in the faces of the tired men who loll back in their rocking chairs. What true American does not enjoy a rocking chair? Book in hand, though they do not ought to, though they do not often read the books, but rock gently to and fro, gazing sleepily out at the weird-looking buttes opposite, until their sharp outlines grow indistinct in the purple in the afterglow of the sunset. The story high house of hewn logs is clean and neat, with many rooms so that no one can be alone, uh, so that one can be alone if one wishes to. The nights in summer are cool and pleasant, and there are plenty of bearskins and buffalo robes, trophies of our own skill, with which to bid defiance to the bitter cold of winter. In summertime, we are not much within doors, for we rise before dawn and work hard enough to be willing to go to bed soon after nightfall. The long winter evenings are spent sitting round the hearthstone while the pine logs roar and crackle and the men play checkers or chess in the firelight. 
the rifle stand in the corners of the room or pressed across the elk antlers which jut out from the, over the fireplace. From the deer horns ranged along the walls and thrust into the beams and rafters hang heavy overcoats of wolf skin or coon skin and otter fur or beaver fur caps and gauntlets. Rough board shelves hold a number of books without which some of the evenings would be long indeed. No ranchman who loves sport can afford to be without Van Dyke's Still Hunter, Dodge's Plains of the Great West, or Caton's Deer and Antelope of America, and Coos Birds of the Northwest will be valued if he cares at all for natural history. A Western Plainsman is reminded every day by the names of the prominent landmarks among which he rides that the country was known to men who spoke French long before any of his own kinsfolk came to it, and hence he reads with a double interest Parkman's histories of the early Canadians. As for Irving, Hawthorne, Cooper, Lowell, and the other standbys, I suppose no man, east or west, would willingly be long without them. While for lighter reading, there are dreamy Ike Marvel, Burroughs, breezy pages, and the quaint, pathetic character sketches of the southern writers, Cable, Craddock, Macon, Joel Chandler Harris, and sweet Sherwood Bonner. When one is in the Badlands, he feels as if they somehow look just exactly as Poe's tales and poems sound. There's a great deal of description of the Badlands in Theodore Roosevelt's writings. And I think when you come and visit Theodore Roosevelt National Park, especially if you get out into some quiet part of the wilderness, I hope that you might take along some of the readings, uh, uh, the writings of Theodore Roosevelt to, read, to put you into the mood. We're uh, coming forward to June 4th, 1949. I wasn't even really consciously uh, aware of uh, the big to-do in the Badlands uh, on that date. So glad, my friend Joyce, uh, this uh, isn't going to do justice at all. But here's a shot of the hillside on which the good people of North Dakota and the nation sat on that day way down close. There's a, a stage. The cars were said to be backed up for miles on Highway 10, such that uh, in attempting to find parking to view the pageant, which was a big highlight of the celebration, you, uh, you had to drive past the pageant, park miles away, and then by the time you got out and got your family settled on a, on a hillside or butte looking down to, the pageant might have been over by that uh, by that time. Uh, there's uh, some wonderful documents, and I'm going to send these to my uh, to my friend. There's some wonderful documents from the dedication. I'm glad to see that a significant uh, part of the uh, dedication was given over to Congressman William Lemke, who it's written had spent uh, five years or, or more really making this a, a signal effort of his uh, in the uh, in the uh, uh, Congress of the United States. Uh, because it had uh, been defeated. The legislation approved in 1947 had been defeated just the previous December. I've got a little note here from uh, Newton B. Drury, the director of the National Park Service, and uh, I'm uh, certain I've, I've read that he was here to make these remarks. Well, the remarks were prepared and printed by Quick Print in Dickinson, North Dakota, in time to be a part of the formal program 
of the uh, of the date. So just again, in this case, just for time, a little bit of the uh, 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 excise. This is uh, from Newton B. Drury, the director of the National Park Service in 1949. Dedication to the citizens of the United States. It is a privilege to welcome you to the dedication of Theodore Roosevelt National Memorial Park. On this occasion, we observe formally the distinction which Congress has given to this North Dakota area by adding to it the outstanding family of national parks, monuments, and historic sites which comprise the national park system. We hope that these ceremonies will further your understanding of the National Park Service and particularly its obligations in relation to this memorial park. This section of the badlands of the Little Missouri now has been set aside to commemorate a great American whose personal experience here helped him to understand the problems of the West in relation to those of the nation as a whole. This park, therefore, is a fitting memorial to Theodore Roosevelt's bold leadership in the movement for conservation of our natural resources. Theodore Roosevelt National Memorial Park, like all the units of the National Park Service, now belongs to the citizens of the whole United States. But it is particularly to you as neighbors and friends that the National Park Service must look for assistance in the solution of the administrative and other problems that it is expected will be encountered here. It gives me great pleasure to extend our sincere appreciation to the state dedication community sponsored by the Greater North Dakota Association for their generous contribution in arranging and helping to carry out this ceremony. The uh, ceremony uh, uh, included uh, 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 Mr. R.J. Hughes of Wapaton uh, uh, as president, F.A. Irish of Fargo as treasurer, Leroy Pease of Fargo, the Executive Secretary, and M.J. Connolly of Fargo, the Assistant Secretary. These are the, of the uh, Greater North Dakota Association officers. A large dedication uh, committee headed by W.L. Gardner of New England. And it took me a few years here in Medora and greeting guests. Uh, uh, when I asked uh, uh, where they were from and they said New England, I would ask what part. And now that I've been to uh, the uh, great summer picnic in New England, North Dakota, a nearby neighbor to Medora, I realized that though there is a, a rail line that bisects New England, we don't really talk about New England having different parts when we're talking about the village of New England, North Dakota. And uh, if I may, this is, uh, uh, this is a bit fun to read through. You, uh, some of you that uh, have a few more rings around your tree, you might recognize some of these names. Ex officio members. Governor Fred Andall, uh, General Heber L. Edwards, the Adjutant General, Superintendent Russell Reed, uh, on behalf of the State Historical Society, Superintendent Aleph Allen F. Hanks, and historian Ray H. Madison uh, of the Theodore Roosevelt National Park, Einer Dahl of Watford City, and Orville Berda of Dickinson, members with W.L. Gardner of the executive board and James B. Connolly of Dickinson, secretary. And then again, for, uh, for uh, a fun and inclusion of our supporting communities, A.U. Anderson of Crosby, L.M. Barnhart of Medora, Arlie R. Gjella of Williston, A.M. Christensen of Minot, R.L. 
Dushinsky of Devil's Lake, F.E. Fitzsimmons of Bismarck, J.R. Kennedy of Fargo, N.J. Leonard of Grand Forks, John Paulson of Fargo, John Plath of Bismarck, M.J. Rashko of Dickinson, Frank Ray Jr. Dickinson, John Rosie Bowman, Howard Stone, New Rockford, Hugh Thompson, Glendive, S.W. Thompson, Devil's Lake, Earl F. Tucker, Bismarck, F.P. Whitney, Dickinson. 71 years ago, uh, the... Uh, uh, the uh, uh, park feeding concession was done by the 8th District American Legion. Uh, before or after the pageant, everyone was uh, uh, invited to uh, enjoy the following entertainments being offered at Medora. The Chateau d'Amour had an open house. There was an art exhibit in Roosevelt Museum by the Bismarck branch of the National League of American Penwomen. Quentin Roosevelt chapter, Daughters of the American Revolution. Mrs. H.J. Weinberg and of Dickinson State and uh, the DAR regent and coordinator in the Soil and Conservation Service buildings where all that was held. There was a puppet show, Teddy Roosevelt in the Badlands by Blanche and Roland Harding at the City Hall with shows at 1, 4, and 7. Air excursions were given by the Sachs Aviation Company out of the Buddy Ranch Field. There was a rodeo, and that was the Badlands post of the American Legion that hosted that at 4 p.m. Horseback rides from Buddy Ranch, a special art exhibit at the Rough Riders Hotel, a street concert by the Dickinson City Band, and there was a dance at City Hall at 9 p.m. I mentioned that uh, my friend Joyce mentioned her family had, had to drive past the uh, uh, the pageant and made their way back, and, and perhaps, uh, I don't think Joyce recalls that they were able to see the pageant. And uh, since we are Medora, a show town, and I'm looking forward to doing the Teddy Roosevelt show under whatever conditions we deem, all of us deem, are, are the right and safe thing to do this summer. Uh, and of course, the Medora musical, always such a fun bit of skit and story that runs through that, that great show. A little quick reading, if I may, about uh, what the people of the Badlands chose and what writer and director Elwin A. Nellis chose for the pageant The Badlands and Teddy Roosevelt. It's uh, subtitled, a visit to the enchanted past, realistic glimpses into the thrilling eras of a romantic area, a glance at the people who made national history unfolded in unique pageantry and amid the natural setting of the North Dakota Badlands. That photo we saw earlier made such a natural amphitheater, as does our Burning Hills amphitheater. So scene one, the Indians, a Sioux village before the coming of the white man, Indians from Standing Rock Reservation, Indian dances, Mandan Indians, El Zagal Shrine. Scene two, La, Ven La Verendre, first white man to explore what is now North Dakota, done by the Boy Scouts of Glen Ullen. Uh, scene three, our trappers, a sordid page from history, trappers annual rendezvous, community groups from Sydney, Montana, presenting the trappers. I'm catching on now to how this was done. Scene four, General A.H. Sully, punitive, punitive expedition against the Indians, a result of the 1862 Minnesota massacre, led Sully's troops across the Badlands, this done by the Bismarck Junior Chamber of Commerce. Scene five, General George A. Custer, 
Custer's cavalry in camp en route to the last stand in the Little Bighorn. Custer, George Armstrong Custer III, grand nephew of the famous leader, student at State College of Michigan. So uh, I think I understand that the grand nephew of Custer was involved here. Sod Buster's Saddle Club of Hettinger, Hettinger County in North Dakota. It's Hettinger, isn't it? Hettinger County, North Dakota. Scene six, Maltese Cross Ranch Cabin. Maltese Cross or Chimney Butte Ranch Cabin where Roosevelt began his Western cattle operations. The original cabin is now on the grounds of the State Historical Society Bismarck, it says parenthetically. Theodore Roosevelt played by Lyle Delaney of Dickinson or do the, does the family say uh, Delaney? Scene seven, the ranchers, a roundup camp. Music by the Watford City Cowboy Band. Western Justice, a cattle rustler by the Watford City Townspeople and the Bismarck Horse Club. Scene eight, coming of the railroad, the Northern Pacific Railway Survey Crew, done by the Dickinson State Teachers College students. And scene nine, stagecoach, coach established by Marquis Moore from Medora Deadwood Run, the Beach Junior Chamber of Commerce, the JCs uh, brought that on stage. Scene 10, the homesteader, ranchers resent intrusion into the domain of nesters by the Belfield Community Group. And finally, the culmination of the pageant, scene 11, peace and the big stick. Speak softly and carry a big stick. That was Theodore Roosevelt at the Minnesota State Fair, 1901. Kitty Page of Fargo, uh, Miss North Dakota, service personnel of the Bismarck recruiting stations uh, and music by the Watford City High School Band. Imagine the great fun and celebration that was June 4th, 1949 here at the dedication of Theodore Roosevelt National Park. We're going to do a North Dakota Start Smart here in Medora, very, very cautiously. May 1st, uh, with the direction of uh, uh, all involved uh, from the State Health Department on down through our local people. On May 1st, very cautiously, we will be opening up the Rough Riders Hotel and the Bully Pulpit Golf Course in Medora. On May 9th, uh, the National Park uh, will reopen Theodore Roosevelt National Park. All of this, please, subject to change. And eventually, uh, maybe come uh, a date like June 4th, uh, there will be a, a good deal more going on, uh, all with appropriate social distancing and cleanliness and care and concern for one another here in Medora, North Dakota, where we are very grateful that on this date, April 25th, 1947, Congressman William Lemke, the United States Congress, and President Harry S. Truman saw fit to gift to the people and the people to embrace Theodore Roosevelt Memorial National Park. Good luck. Godspeed. We'll see you Monday morning at Teddy Talks. Have a wonderful weekend with your family and friends.